Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for every single person here, Lord. You know each of us. You know how we've come today. You know how our week's been. You know what it is we need to hear. You know what it is we need to change within our lives. We know, you know the transformation that we need. And not just what we need, but actually what society needs around us, um, that society needs us to change. Because you have spoken about kingdom of heaven, which is at hand. That you are risen, that you are here, that you're with us, that you're for us. That by your spirit you empower us. Um, your kingdom is here, and may we represent your kingdom effectively this week, Lord. But may you empower us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, we carry on with this series. This is week two. It shouldn't be that hard for me to remember when there's only two weeks in of an eight-week series. Which week are we on? Um, we're at week two. So, last week we did the Ark of the Covenants. We're doing a series called Artifacts. We're looking at all eight artifacts that were made directly after the children of Israel leaving Egypt. The reason for that is um, they left slavery and they had these um, artistic expressions which would formulate and be a part of their priesthood to remember, remind them of their identity, of who they were, of who God is, who they were in relation to God. And so it's kind of important that we know these things because although we haven't transitioned from Egypt, we transitioned from our own slavery, of our own sins, our own struggle, our own fight um, in this life and so it's important for us to understand these items because these items are interlinked with our own freedom but just artistically expressed in this way at a point of time in history so today we're looking at exodus 28 and we're on to verse 23 which is the table for bread which is the reason why there is bread on a table <laughs> just in case anyone here was missing that i know what mob said earlier and i thought i should throw it out there just in case no, no i'm teasing so you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Jeez. And make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim, rims on it as well. Bad man. Around the hand breadth wide and make a molding of gold around the rim. You shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as the holders for the poles um, able to carry the table. You shall make the poles of arcade wood and cover them with gold and the table shall be um, carried with these. And you shall make its plates and its dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls which are to pour the drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. Now, when it says regularly, what it ends up um, being is weekly. So every single week, um, 12 loaves are, are baked and are made, and they're made on the Friday, and the Saturday is the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, they're placed on um, the table for bread, and the 12 are put there, and it's just one from each of the tribes. And the whole notion and the whole idea behind this is bread for them is kind of like the main part of their meal. For us, we have bread as the side part, like some side bread. Um, but we ha for them, bread is the centerpiece and you have the other things with the bread. So it's a totally different way of thinking. So bread is also like a centerpiece for relationships. So if you were to have some around your house, like they'd, they'd have bread with you and like, um, so um, a speaker I like listen to, a guy called Rob Bell, often he's had, people don't like a lot of the things he said. Some things he said have been considered heresy by some and they've had strong disagreements with him. And in debates, he's had debates with people of opposite opinions 
and they've both been going crazy at each other. And then always towards the end, Rob will always say, but we could break bread, bread right? Like, me and you, we could break bread. Like, we could, we could eat together. We could, we could, like, break bread. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, of course. And so he always puts the whole thing in context, which is an important thing to do, because whether you agree with someone or you don't agree with them, ultimately, like, we can still break bread, right? We're cool. Like, you don't agree with me, and you're never going to agree with me on this. That's fine, but we can still eat together. Um, and that is, is, is what he's doing when he does that, is he's not just um, saying that for the sake of it. He's picking up on a, an ancient kind of tradition, which, which is this, like, the bread will be there. And the reason they give the bread to God is for a very distinctly different reason than the other cultures. The other cultures surrounding where they live, they feed their gods. So they leave food for their gods to eat. That is not what they are doing here. What they are doing here is they are expressing thanks for his provision and they call it the bread of presence, like the bread of life. So the bread of presence, bread of life, is there as a representation that God is with them, that he is their provider, that he is the one they look to each week. And so on the Sabbath day, when they rest, all through the week, they're toiling to get by in this world. The struggle is real, or the struggle is, is real. <laughs> hey. um, and they're getting through this life, and they're going about this. And so on this day, this is their day where they say thanks. They bake in advance, and they place it there, because they're thanking God for his continued presence with them. So this, beyond anything else, is to show the intimacy of their relationship that they would have bread together. It's also to display that they believe that God is with them. Now, God being with them is a huge, huge thing. And we all kind of can see that. Now, one of the things that happens in life is whenever you have a tradition and you have something which you do to remember something important, and you repeat it frequently, time and time again, what happens is, sometimes it loses its meaning, and in losing its meaning, it becomes this religious tradition that is really well fortified and protected, but, no one, but people lose sight of it in the context of the overall scheme of life. Now, this is exactly what happens in the first book of Samuel, chapter 21. Hashtag cheat day. We all have cheat days. Then David came to <laughs> David came to Nob. That's, that's actually there. That, I did not see that coming. Oh, didn't need that on the podcast. Uh, then David came to Nob. <clears throat> ah, and he came to meet David with a trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and why is no one with you? And David said, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. The priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves holy, kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly have women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed 
from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So the bread is kept there the whole time. So it's put there on the, the Sabbath day. It's kept there all throughout the week. At the end of that time, it does get eaten, but it gets eaten by only that, the, the priest, the designated priest. Like no one else is allowed to like tuck into that. So it's come to that point. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of presence, which is removed before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it's taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was, <laughs> I'm going to call him Doug. It's not Doug, it's, it's Doug. But Doug, his name was Doug. The Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Amalek, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand for I have bought even my sword okay we're going to kind of end it there dead that so David has this bread and his men eat this bread that they're not allowed to eat and so there's this moment where you have a tradition you have something holy and what's great here is the Bible kind of has this example here of like a cheat day and Jesus ends up picking up on this on his own teaching that he kind of teaches with his disciples. He ends up getting an altercation about the Sabbath and about what's right and about what's wrong. And he ends up making the point that actually he goes, the whole of God's instruction is for our benefit. It's for our good. That doesn't mean like we're supposed to like just throw away the instruction when we don't like the instruction or hey, you're right. Or throw it away when we're like, oh man, that's not really me. This isn't really me. It's not really for that. But ultimately, when we're talking about like a life and death kind of situation like this one with David's men, they need this to fulfill the task that they've been given. It's okay. Like God said, look, Jesus says, he's Lord of the Sabbath and that this is made for our benefit. And so sometimes we can take something that is deemed sacred to us and then we can get a little bit OTT about it. But obviously, when I say that, I'm kind of talking about thousands of years ago like that doesn't happen in church today like we don't we don't see that in church today do we we don't see in churches where like if you rock up in shorts and it's the wrong kind of church like you don't get told you can't come in like and you don't get made to feel unwelcome and uncomfortable and if you were to come in dressed a certain way you wouldn't look at a woman judgmentally would you if they rocked up to church and they were dressed how they were the night before. Saturday night, fever. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't judge them, would we? Like that wouldn't be an issue for us. We wouldn't be like, this is a matter of eternity, life and death, them encountering Jesus. That's so much more important than, than that. They don't know him. They've never met him before, but they've come for a reason. We don't know what the reason is, but they're here. But no, it's of the utmost importance that I tell them about how they're dressed right this exact moment. Like, we don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know if they nearly committed suicide this week. We don't know anything at all. But the top thing on my priority right now is to let them know exactly about how they're dressed. They haven't said Jesus is Lord in their life, but I need to let them know about how they're dressed. I've got to do it. Or if a couple came and they were gay and they're holding hands in church, the first thing I need to do is I need to let them know about that. Top priority. It's not about whether they know Jesus. It's not about whether they hear the gospel. It's not about whether they taste of the bread of life, the bread of God's presence. The first thing I need to do is I need to keep them away from the bread. It's the very bread that's going to give them life. It's the very bread that's going to change their entire existence and everything they've ever known. But whatever I have to do, I've got to keep them away from it at all costs because they're not worthy, because they've done this. 
forgetting the very fact that, that any one of us has ever tasted the bread of life is we were not worthy of it and we never will be worthy of it and that it's a gift that he freely gives and so we have this story here this narrative it was a, a reminder that some things are more important than just keeping things holy for the sake of looking holy as opposed to allowing that which is holy to make the unholy holy Jesus time and time again if we were to look at it through the eyes of a Jew becomes a sinner he touches a man who's got leprosy the man's unclean Jesus touched him he's now unclean according to the law of God instead Jesus reaches out and touches him and makes him clean how often do we shelter people from getting to the one who is holy that can make them whole because we stand in the way of pomp and ceremony and religious tradition that has nothing to do with who Jesus is. We do it time and time again, but he is the bread of life. And he wants us to know that he is here to come eat with us. It's time to have more cheat days than to just stick to the rigorous religious diet. It's time to eat on the bread of life. It's time to feast on those carbs of his goodness. Going too far with it. (laughs) Way too far with it. Carb, 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 carby, carb, carb. So, we then are led to the next place, which is Matthew, chapter 9, and a subscription to Wired Magazine. Verse 9, 9-9, just need another 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when, they, when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came to call the righteous, not sinners. So God desires that he has fellowship with us. He was willing to come to earth from heaven as our bread of life to give us eternal life to all of those that would partake in it. Jesus is our Passover meal with his disciples and Jesus describes himself often as the bread of life. In John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do so of my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man, on the Son and believes in Him, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus makes this clear statement of, I am the bread of life. And what he does is he ties in two pictures. So often we look at that picture and we grab a hold of the manna that fell and provided for them in the wilderness. And that is a valid part of the picture. But the other side of the picture is the bread of presence, which is ironic because the bread of presence to say that God is present. And then Jesus comes as Emmanuel and he's here. And he is the bread of presence. And that he said, you eat that and you eat of the manna and you're hungry and you need it again. He goes, that was there as a provision for there and now. He goes, but I am the ultimate provision. If you eat of me, you will never go hungry again. And if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. They also had um, a drink offering as well in the tabernacle, um, in the tent of meeting. And so when we look at this, Jesus is ultimately saying that I am your provision. I am the one that makes you whole. I am the one that restores you. And as we go through these eight artifacts, what we'll come around to see is that ultimately all these things are artistic symbols of a priestly structure, but actually they even transcend the law and they go back towards and point to Eden as we touched on last week and we'll be touching on in the latter weeks. But Jesus is the bread of God's presence. In another passage, he literally talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And as he says that, he loses so many of his followers. He loses, he had tons of disciples and they, they pretty much all left him and he turned to the 12 remaining. So we see 12 disciples, yeah, loads more than 12. They were the apostles, the 12. And he turned to the 12 and said, are you guys going too? And they said, where else are we going to go? You hold the words of truth and life. He is the bread of presence or the bread of life. Those two terms are interchangeable. He is the one that sustains us. He is the one who keeps us whole. And we need to be people that do not stand as a barrier. One priest would go in, but ultimately the notion behind the bread of presence was that it was there that all of Israel would be sustained by him that through him all were sustained. And we need to understand the concept that through Jesus all are sustained. And we cannot afford to be people who stand in the way, not in the gap, in the way of people encountering Jesus because we cling to religious traditions that he doesn't value higher than anyone knowing him. Because he chose to know you regardless of the tradition. Because if anyone here today thinks or is deceived in thinking, that Jesus knowing them is a justified move, that Jesus being a part of your life is a justified move, you're deluded. You're not. It's by his grace that he allowed us to come near. And we need to be people that reciprocate that. Now, as we draw this to a close, there are two things. There is the overwhelming message that we need to be people that stand in the gap and not in the way. That's the first thing. But ultimately, we need to acknowledge that still, now as much as ever before, we need him to sustain us, for us to be whole, for us to know what peace is. 
with one another and with God and with society at large and how we can play our part in the restoration. And it's in this story. So what he does was he gets his disciples together and they have this bread and they're breaking it and they're remembering the Passover narrative and they're taking the wine and remembering the blood on the doorposts and Jesus, as he breaks it, for the first time ever, he says, this is my body broken for you and for many. And they'd have been looking at him like, what are you talking about? This had been sacrilegious, saying Passover is really about him. And then he says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for you and for many. Jesus takes these, these symbols, which for them would have sounded like heresy. He says they're all about him. And they're the very symbol, the very sign of God's presence with us. So traditionally, after Jesus has this last supper, he meets with his disciples again after resurrection. They have this again. And then they're like, oh, I get it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The reason he says, do this in remembrance of me is we don't have the narrative of Egypt where we all unite together knowing that we've left that slavery. But each of us knows our own personal Egypt. Each of us knows our own personal sin that we've been delivered from. And so they would have this meal together. And as they would break this bread, and as they would take the wine, when Jesus had risen from the bread, after seeing his body broken for them, after seeing his blood pour out for them, that they may know God. They had this meal together and it would have been so sacred and so tangible. And so today, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to chat to one of the guys. I'm going to get us a glass of wine and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break bread. I'm going to acknowledge our place in the narrative and the role we're going to play in other people's story, in their engagement and encounter with Jesus. Father, I thank you that you send your son to be the bread of presence that he is the bread of life that those who come and eat of him will never hunger again and shall never thirst again those who come and drink father we thank you for his goodness we thank you for your presence with us this morning we thank you holy spirit that we welcome we invite you here that though jesus has ascended that he is with the father we are here now and we wait on you holy spirit to come and empower and renew us and refresh us again that as we have these emblems we will remember the Egypt you delivered us from, the sins that you have set us free from, and the sins that you are setting us free from as we take it, just as they believed in you as they had this meal and they put it on the doorpost and they left. We will be taking this, remembering what you've saved us from, but looking forward to what you were saving us from still in our lives. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be partakers, that we're not to be on the subs bench, but we're to be a part of the work of restoration you're doing within the wider community and context of the world around us. This week, would you use us? Would you help us to not stand in the way, but to stand in the gap, introducing someone to your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and that it will flow out through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool.